0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. And today is like the longest day of the year. More like today than any other day of the year. It is the 21st of June. So I hope you uh, love the day. I hope it's gone well. And I hope you uh, enjoy every minute of sunlight today. Up until dusk, which I think is coming 9-something here in the Minnesota area. I'm not sure for sure when it's going to be, but... I've been fishing before in the Yukon where it was dark from like 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. I'm sure you've done that as well, haven't you, Jeff? I have been up north and fished in
1: Alaska. And, uh, yeah, it was still light at midnight. Yeah. It's like you go back out fishing at 1 in the morning. And it's like completely daylight. You could. 903, by the way. I've had to look it up. 903? 903 is the sunset today. I thought it'd be later than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, But, But there you go. All right. I don't know about this longest day of the year thing. Aren't... All day is pretty much all the same length it's all <laughs> oh, daylight, longest daylight. 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 Yeah, the go. most like amount
0: of daylight. Yeah. First day of summer. Yeah. So, you probably know by now, Jeff Fordorn's my guest cuz he's already been talking but without an introduction, but he probably doesn't need one. He's a regular on the show, a good friend of mine and also a Bible teacher and we love learning about God's word from Jeff. I do anyway. I always get a lot out of it. And today we're going to talk about being an ambassador for Christ, and maybe we're going to find out eventually what is an ambassador. But before we get to that, Jeff, I'd love to do a little brush up on what we talked about last time, just as that'll help us move into this discussion today. It will. Last time we, we focused
1: on a passage from Ephesians, Ephesians 4.1, and it says, I urge you, God says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And we spent the hour last time And I just wanted to mention a couple things from that because it really feeds into what we're going to talk about today. And last time we talked about this calling that we have received, Paul said. So we scanned the scriptures and saw that actually God has told us about this calling that he's given us in quite a few places. We looked in Peter and some of the letters written by by Paul, but one verse that I thought I'd review today and it says this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. So we concluded last time that our calling as Christians that we have received is to live holy and godly lives. Now, I know that's hard. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that any of us would describe our lives as holy. We live holy Lives, and that's one of the problems. But here is the biblical truth that God, in reality, has made the believer in Christ holy. And we looked at the biblical description, one of the biblical descriptions that God uses to describe this truth, and that is the word saint. Saint in the Greek is hagios, meaning holy. So when God says, for example, in fact, Paul starts most of his letters to the saints in Ephesus, Mm -hmm. to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Corinth, to those holy and separated from God, you know, in Thessalonica, I can't remember all the places off the top of my head, but he calls us saints. We are holy. God has made us holy. That is our new identity. That is how God has made us. He's made us new creations. And that word holy, by the way means to be consecrated or set apart. So God has set us apart from the world and has called us to live a life set apart from the world. And so that's what we talked about last time. And I think this idea that He's made us holy, so therefore live holy is just such an important concept and we actually see it as we talked about last time all over Scripture. But I ended this way that That we can't go out and try to live this holy life on our own. We need a group of people to come alongside of us and help us in this battle, in this life. And God says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. When we come together, we are stronger than when we try to fight this battle, go out into this world alone. And I pointed out that the church, when you actually look at the understanding of the church and the Greek word for church, it actually means the fellowship of the called out ones. Mm. That Greek word ekklesia actually means the fellowship of the called out ones. We have all received our calling from God to live wholly separated lives. And he calls us to come together to do that. That's what the church is. So we're doing church. Every time you get together with other believers, you are doing church. Church is not a building. It's not a denomination. It's the body of Christ, and we're actually going to talk
0: about that a little bit here in a minute. But yet, Jeff, we work so hard to try to bring and attract others to church, so there's many, many that come into the church community that are not believers.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that we invite people to our church for is so that maybe they will hear the message, the message of salvation, Mm -hmm. the gospel of Jesus Christ, and therefore be saved. We want to bring people in to our community to see, you know, I, I, I've been to funerals for believers and I've been to funerals for unbelievers and they're two different things. I've been to gatherings and parties with unbelievers and I've been to gatherings and parties with believers. Guess what? They're two different things. I watched a group of high school kids from a public high school come out of their prom and I watched a group of Christian students coming out of their prom, and it was night and day to <laughs> watch the the behavior mm-hmm. of those two groups. So when we invite people into our church, we want them to see that, hey, you know, it's broken world out there with lots of broken people, but there's a lot of people in the church that just have this peace and this joy of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I think when when we show that behavior to others and preach the gospel to them hopefully they'll say
0: hey i want some of that i want that jesus guy well i'm glad we're talking about being saints because it's a positional thing that god gives us otherwise you're thinking oh don't call me a saint i'm not a saint and i think this is going to take several knocks before people understand no 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 we are positionally god has made us holy and we are saints Yes, that, that uh, we talked about this last time a little bit, that that word carries
1: a little bit of baggage, actually. So it's not baggage, but there's traditions surrounding who can be a saint and who cannot be a saint, right? It, biblically, every person who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ has been made a saint
0: by God. That's our position. You're absolutely right. I like that. It's uh, Again, I'm happy and excited to tell people that if you have come to know Jesus as your Savior, God has made you holy. Because if you talk about holiness, and if you said, "Hey, Bill, what kind of date did you have?" I wouldn't say, "Ah, Jeff, mm-hmm. I was pretty holy today." I know it. I've asked this
1: question uh, often of my classes, and it's like, how many of you are living out this holy life every day? And you know, to this to this day, I've never had anybody ever raise their hand. Mm-hmm. Right? Positionally, we are holy. The second reality is now God has has called us to live out that holiness. The third reality is none of us can actually do it perfectly. The right. only one who's done it perfectly is Christ himself, mm-hmm. who never broke any sin. He was the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. He was sinless in his life. So he's mm-hmm. the only one who's ever done it. But that is our calling.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, we won't be there this living out the sinless life until we're in glory. So, Jeff, what do you say to someone who says, Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? What do you say to that person? I actually, uh, theologically, I would
1: actually correct that because our identity in Christ is no longer as a sinner. When someone says, Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I like to say, No, you were a sinner saved by grace, you are now a saint that is saved by grace. Mm -hmm. See that? I mean, this is a small change in this phrase, but the the theological meaning or or understanding is huge, that God no longer sees you as a sinner. He separated your sin as far as the East is from the West, and he remembers it no more. He no longer counts your sin against you. That's what being saved is all about. Mm -hmm. And you are now a saint in God's eyes. So I get the the idea of humility, if you will, of that phrase, like, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, just like everybody else, nothing special. But in reality, theologically, I would love it if people said, I'm just a saint saved by grace. So you are Saint
0: Bill. Why, thank you, Jeff. Yeah. You're, You're welcome to come back on the show another time, as <laughs> long as you keep that up. There you go. But we
1: are. That's the reality, yeah, right? The biblical it's a, reality. It's
0: a troubling word for many. It is. It's hard to walk around on this life and this earth and go, I'm a saint, yeah the world that's your spiritual reality the world would take that yes they would totally and misunderstand it and and yes yeah but in the fellowship we can celebrate it with one another correct yeah saint jeff (laughs) do you have more should we go to break right now
1: uh let's go to break and we'll come back and we'll start talking about this church again as
0: a body i love that we're going to talk about being an ambassador for christ we're going to even find out what does it mean to be an ambassador Jeff Verdorn is my guest he is my friend and bible teacher and mentor and we're going to just be back in just a short minute been having a good day. And if you're in the car on the way home, thank you for tuning in to Faith Radio. And thank you for tuning in to this show, because I love that you're listening. And I think uh, you've just tuned in at the right time, because we're going to talk about being an ambassador for Christ. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. He's a friend and Bible teacher and mentor of mine. And I, Jeff, I think we should probably start with the big question, what is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador
1: is a representative of christ and uh, god calls us ambassadors so paul um, in scripture uses this phrase in a number of places uh, that we are ambassadors of christ and it's this idea that god has representatives on this planet on earth Uh, that are to represent him. Now, one of the things that I like to point out, there's a phrase that I really love before we get into the ambassadors, is this phrase called the continuing incarnation of Christ. If we are the body of Christ, this is another description of the church is the body of Christ and Christ is the head, right? And Christ, when he came to earth, he was in a physical body, And he was born and he lived and he experienced pain and emotion and then he died and then he rose again and now he rose to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of his father. So his incarnation in bodily form has ended. But when Paul says that we are the body of Christ, we are now Christ representatives on this earth. We are his continuing incarnation on this planet. And I would argue for for one primary reason. And that is for God to make his appeal through us to an unbelieving world. Just as Christ made his appeal to the world for God. Remember, he only spoke what God wanted him to speak, right? He was God's representative on earth. So the church is the continuing representative of Christ on the earth. So I got a few characteristics of an ambassador. There's there's actually, I think there's 12 of them on my list here. Should we go through those one by one? Yeah, let's do it. Because they're kind of fun. Because if you think about an earthly ambassador, what's an earthly ambassador? An earthly ambassador is someone who is chosen by the president or the king to represent their country to a foreign country. Mm -hmm. So someone is picked, you're called to be an ambassador, you are then sent to the foreign land where you are to represent the president or the king, right? Well, that's the language that the Bible uses to describe us. Only our kingdom is where. It's a heavenly kingdom. Paul says in Philippians that our citizenship, our primary citizenship, now a lot of Christians I know love America, love our country, and uh, are proud to be Americans, right? But our first and foremost citizenship is in heaven. I like to say this. We are heaven hmm. first, like some that. like yeah. Some like to use the word heavenites. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like I kind of like heavenonians. It sounds a little better. I think our allegiance is there. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's where our allegiance is. Mm-hmm. So when we we can pledge allegiance to our flag of the United States of America, right? But our primary allegiance should always be to our home country, which is heaven. That mm-hmm. is the kingdom that we belong to. So, what is an ambassador? Number one, an ambassador does not appoint himself but is appointed appointed by the president or the king John 1519 if you belong to the world it would love you as its own as it was you do not belong to the world but i have chosen you out of the world oh hey wait a minute that kind of sounds like our calling doesn't it that we've been called to be holy to live set apart from this world that that this and that is why the world hates you we as the church are God's called out ones. That's why we reviewed a little bit for last from last week. Number two, we do not become, as ambassadors, citizens of the country that we are assigned to. We are still citizens of our home country. So as heaven-onians, regardless of what country God has placed you in, whether it's Canada or the United States or Mexico or Spain or whatever— Our first and primary citizenship is in heaven. So we don't become a citizen of the country that we are assigned. We retain our citizenship of heaven. That's number two.
0: Number three. Well, before we jump to that one, there's a great passage out of Philippians. I think it's in chapter three. In verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Exactly. So that's where our citizenship is. We... You know, there, I think there's a lot of Americans that think they're going to end up in heaven because they're American, right? It's like, oh, well, this is basically a Christian country, although I heard actually on the way over here that Barn had just done another s- uh, survey, and the percentage of Americans that believe in God, which just 20 years ago was 91%, is now down to 80%. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think all those people are saved because I, I don't think all of them have a proper understanding of God and his son, Jesus Christ, and the and the cross, uh, but that's still a pretty big percentage of our country that believes there is a God. and uh, But I think there's going to be a lot of people who think they're going to be in heaven because they're American. And the criteria f- for being in heaven is very clear in Scripture. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that is it. Mm-hmm. Number three, as ambassadors, we're to speak only what the president would like us to say. We don't speak on our own accord or by our own will, but that which our president wants us to speak. So John twelve forty nine, Jesus says this, for I do not speak of my own accord, but the father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Now, Christ was the perfect ambassador for God, but we as ambassadors should not speak on our own behalf on our by our own will, but that by the will of the father above. That's number three. Number four, ambassadors enjoy what is called, in this world, what's called diplomatic immunity. What that means is they're actually, as an ambassador in a foreign land, not under the civil authority of the country that they are in. They don't have to, you know, there's some old jokes in New York where all the ambassadors park in New York and they all get parking tickets all the time and none of them pay it because none of them have to pay it Mm -hmm. because they have what's called diplomatic immunity. Well, as Christians, Colossians 2.20 says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? You see that? Colossians 2.20. We, as citizens of heaven, have diplomatic immunity on earth. Now, before you go and say, oh, I can go do every anything I want in this world then because I don't fit under the authority. Number five is even though we have diplomatic immunity, an ambassador should follow the customs and the laws of the land in which they're in. So even though you're not under the authority, you should submit to the authority that you are under. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Paul goes on to say in Romans 13, therefore, when you rebel against the authority, you are actually rebelling against God. So we as ambassadors from a foreign land, even though we we have diplomatic immunity from the civil rules of this world, should be the best citizens of that country, submitting to the authority that God has placed over us. All right, makes sense? A ton of sense. Number six, we should be gracious in speech. We should be humble, and we should be effective communicators. So 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, you, who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Whenever someone asks us, hey, what's your secret? You have a lot of peace in your life. You just seem to always have joy. What's your secret? And we should be able to gently, with respect, say, hey, I, I, I build my life on the foundation of Christ. I've trusted in him. And the joy that you see is the the joy of the spirit, that fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. People should see a difference in us because we have Christ in us.
0: Jeff, I will say the way you phrased that was a very warm, invitational thing. And the questions don't always come as warm, invitational. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not one of those Bible thumpers, are you? Or yeah. they'll say something way worse than that, which I don't want to say in the air. But you have to be prepared to also deal with that, because most people with that loving, gentle invitation that you just laid out there could say, Oh, well, thank you. Let me tell you about my my life in Christ. Yeah, that was kind of the best case scenario. It was, right? Was a really, it, was
1: a, <laughs> it was a really good case scenario. But you're right. There are some times where people present us it, like, how can you believe that junk? Or you yeah, know, yeah. uh our a former governor of the of my home state, the state of Minnesota, said that. Uh, Christianity is for weak-minded individuals. Yep. It, no, it's a crutch it's a for crutch. weak-minded individuals. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wrote him a, a, a letter and, and gently instructed him and uh, with respect, uh, saying that I really didn't think that it was. Um, in fact, God says, come, let us reason together. I know. I think the reality of the cross and that Jesus was a real person that came to this earth and the reality of his resurrection um, has been documented, challenged and documented
0: by many. But that also suggests that people are willing to come to the table and willing to reason together. And when there is incredible hostility towards the gospel and complete hatred, they may not show up at that table willing to reason together.
1: Yeah, we were just reading in Corinthians, I think it's First Corinthians 1 uh, at, a gr- at a study group uh, where it says, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. yeah. And so a lot of people just think of Christianity as being the most foolish thing, anybody,
0: anything you could do. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue our study on being an ambassador. Jeff has gone through, let's see, six. six six of them already, six more to go, with lots more discussion on what it means to be an ambassador. If you've missed any of this, i got to recommend right now that you go to the beginning Go to the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com and listen to it because there's such good content here. We'll be back in just a minute with Jeff Verdorn. with Jeff Verdorn. We're talking about being an ambassador for Christ. And we've got 12 characteristics of ambassadors. And if you missed any of them, let's see if I can run through six of them real quick. An ambassador does not appoint himself. He's appointed by the king. Ambassador does not become a citizen of the country he's assigned. He's still a citizen of heaven. He speaks only what the president wants or the king wants him to say. So we speak on behalf of the Lord. The enjoys diplomatic immunity. You're not under the authority of the country in which you live. But um, did we cover that one well? Yeah. Did we? Good. Uh, Number five, it's supposed to follow the customs and laws of the land. Even though you are not under their authority, you do submit Mm -hmm. to that authority. Mm -hmm. And number six, be gracious in speech, humble and an effective communicator. So that takes us all the way up to numero seven, where we're going to resume. Yeah, so seven I see is understands
1: that insults towards us as ambassadors are really aimed at the president or the king whom you represent. Right? So when our ambassador is in a foreign land and he's being attacked in that country, what they're, what they're really t- attacking is America. They're attacking the president of the United States or America as a country, as an ideal. And so when we get attacked as ambassadors, it's kind of like the worst-case scenario that you were talking about earlier. When people mock us or belittle us or whatever, they're really not attacking us. They're really attacking the whole idea of Christ and this kingdom of heaven. So Matthew five eleven says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus says. You see that? Mm-hmm. They're really insulting you because of Jesus. And 1 Peter 4.14 says this, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, there's the reason again why you are being persecuted or insulted, it's because of Christ's name. Do you think they are really attacking you because you are rep- – no, it's you're just the messenger. Mm-hmm. Who they really are attacking is Christ. And Peter says, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Mm-hmm. So never forget that. I think every Christian, even in America, which is mostly a Christian nation, we have many, many Christians in this country, and we really in this land don't experience the kind of persecution and insult. It's increasing, I would argue. Mm-hmm. It's it's We can envision the persecution of the church in some ways, but we have not experienced real persecution. Now, as it starts up and it's getting worse, remember, they're not attacking you. They are attacking Christ. That's number seven.
0: And Jeff, uh, would you say that obviously Satan probably hates us, but I think the reason he hates us because he hates what God loves. And God loves us. And because he hates God so much, in a way I think we're a little bit of collateral damage, right? That's exactly but I know, I'm right. I'm sure he hates us, but... He hates us because God loves us, and he hates God.
1: Yeah, he's he's looking, you know, in, in Job when God says, have you considered my servant Job, mm-hmm. right? You think Satan really cares about Job? No. He just wanted to go after God, is right. right? That's yeah. exactly right. No, yeah. exactly. All right, number eight. Anything we do, oh, this is going to be a convicting one. Anything we do in the country that we've been assigned to, reflects on our home country, on our president or our king. Ew. I'm going to run and get a coffee. I'll be back in two minutes. <laughs> Keep talking, Jeff. 1 Peter 2, 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We should be above reproach in this world. And we should live that... That's again why we reviewed from last week. We need to live that holy, that separated life, not living like the pagans do, but living a godly, holy life by the will of God. What might some of those things be? Oh, my goodness. You know, we read some of these passages last time about as the way you used to live in debauchery, Mm -hmm. Paul says. Mm -hmm. It's like, and then there's this long list of lying and cheating and stealing and orgies and sexual immorality and so on and so forth. That's how the world lives. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed the world lives basically in debauchery most of the time?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And so we should not live like the world, but we need to live set apart lives. And so... What we do as an ambassador of Christ reflects on Christ. and We need to remember that. This is, for me, the most convicting one.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, what's a, what's a simple thing somebody could consider doing starting today? To live that separated yes.
1: eye? Yeah. You know, in the end, I think that as we fix our eyes on Christ and we are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness— we will then start displaying uh, fruits of good work, if you will. Mm -hmm. So as we have more of the internal fruit of the Spirit, I think we will express that out to other people through fruits of good deeds. And so remember all the one another's in Scripture where it says, carry one another burden, encourage one another, lift each other up, and love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's how we'll start displaying this set-apart
0: Life to others. Yeah. The thought that popped into my head was the way we use our words and our tongue and the power of the tongue. That's something that we can work on starting today. It it really is. I mean, you know, Scripture says that they will know
1: you by your love. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of and lots and lots of admonitions. I mean, the one about the tongue. Remember what James says about the tongue? I know. Uh, And that's one way that we could say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not going to use foul language. Do not let any coarse language or foul language, I can't remember the exact verse, come out of your mouth. When we do, we separate ourselves. When we don't, I should say, we separate ourselves from the world because the world uses coarse language all the time. I was on a golf course one time. And... Earlier today? Uh, no. Okay. I'm just I checking. I've kind of given up golf. It's, Have you? Yeah. yeah. It's a, well, I tell people golf has kind of given me up. I can't strike <laughs> the ball anymore. But I used to play a lot of golf earlier mm-hmm. in my life. And I was playing particularly well. And this guy used to... Was, was that I didn't know very well. He was a friend of a friend. And he would use the name Jesus Christ in golf. And I finally hit this drive right down the middle. You know, I don't remember how long... And he he just bolts out this, Jesus Christ, you know? And I finally, because as a believer, doesn't it just kind of pierce your soul when
0: it's people speak like that? I didn't even like you doing it on the know, show just
1: now. I know. It,
0: it, I mean, take it back. Uh, well, I said it softer. Did you I, I, notice that? I know, but. <laughs> I take it back. Okay.
1: So, And I turned to him and I said, you know, I don't know if my Lord had anything to do with that drive or not, but he has saved me. And I would appreciate it if you didn't use his name like that. And he didn't the rest of the round. But, yeah, it does. It just pierces you a little bit, doesn't it? It does, yeah. All right. Uh, anything you do reflects on the king. Matthew five sixteen. by the way, is another one. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So by our deeds, they should recognize God. It should reflect on him. Number nine. We as ambassadors are under the protection of the home nation. Hmm. God says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. First John four four says, You dear children, are from God and have overcome them the world, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You know who the one in the world is? That is Satan. And the one who is in you, God dwelling in you, is greater than the than the one who's in the world, all right? You belong to your home country and you are under the home country's protection at all time. That's well, a comfort. It is. Yeah. It, likewise, remember when you're in a foreign land, the the embassy is actually considered to be part of the home country. I know. So I love you, that. Yeah. So if you go into the embassy...
0: Um, you are you are safe from, you're in, and you're in America. You're in America. If you are in Russia and you go to the American embassy, you're in America. Exactly. That is long-standing,
1: you know, diplomatic tradition around the world. That that is your home country. And very few times has it been breached. Now, our Iranian embassy back in the '70s, you know, was breached and mm-hmm. they held hostages. But it doesn't happen all that often. That is the home country. I guess it happened in Benghazi here recently as well. So um, that embassy is part of the home country. That's kind of how I see the church. The church is heavenonian territory, Mm -hmm. heaven territory. That's where we come. We build each other up. We equip each other and prepare to go back out into the world. And that's what the church is. It should be a safe place. Do you remember back in the, in the old days when, you know, the, 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 so the good guy would run into the church and the bad guys wouldn't go in there and the sheriff wouldn't go. You know, the there it was like sacred ground. Mm-hmm. That's because they knew and understood that, right? Today, not so much in this country. It's, you know, it it, it it wouldn't work that way as much. But that's the idea, that the church is supposed to be that kind of sacred ground, that heaven-only territory. Yep. All right, number 11. An ambassador can be discharged from the country. All right. So if you are the country where you, where you are at as an ambassador, that country has the right to discharge you. They can say, you know what? We no longer like this guy as our ambassador in our country. We're going to discharge him back to the home country. Mm -hmm. All right. Now here's the problem with being a heavenly ambassador. If you're discharged from the world back to your home country, what has to happen? You have to die. (laughs) You got to die. And so, scripture, yeah, you got to kill you. So, uh, Scripture says in Matthew 10, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell or in the lake of fire. So, God's saying, I get it that the world has the power, actually the enemy, the devil, the world, has the power to kill you bodily, physically, but don't forget... They have no power over your eternal destiny. Mm -hmm. They have no power to touch your soul, your innermost being. Um, But you can be discharged from the world. And being discharged as an ambassador of Christ means you're going home. You're going to heaven. And over the last 2,000 years, countless thousands have been martyred uh, because of that very reason. Mm -hmm. Number 12. Here's my favorite. Before a king or president will wage war on a foreign land, one of the first things that they will do is recall their ambassadors. Get them out of the country. Get them out of the Before country. they declare war. Exactly. Mm, the plot thickens. It does. <laughs> it does. And you think about it. Has God told us about a time when he is going to pour out war, mm-hmm. pour out his wrath, on the world. And sure enough, he has. It's called the end times or the tribulation or Daniel's 70th seven that is going to come upon the world. That time of wrath, before it comes, I am a firm believer from Scripture, conclusions from Scripture. We've talked about this over the years on your show in what's called a pre-tribulational rapture, that the rapture of the church, will, the ambassadors will be taken out of the way before God pours out his wrath on the earth. So Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will certainly come back and take you to be where I am also. That's the rapture of the church, and it will occur, I believe, this now this is a long discussion with lots of passages that need to be looked at to conclude that the rapture happens before this time of wrath, which is coming upon the world. But that's the pattern. It's, it's, it's exactly the pattern in this world, just as an ambassador is recalled before war breaks out. So, too, I believe God is going to recall his ambassadors before he pours out his wrath on this world.
0: Hmm. That's, a, that's probably one of the more um, easy for me to understand and easy for you to understand, but maybe not all the listeners for, to understand. Yeah, I think the church um,
1: has a well-developed understanding of the rapture of the church, but I do recognize that, especially today, more and more, you know, I've been teaching the end times and and a lot of the rapture and one of the end times stuff for 20 years. And I think the church is more and more not touching on these truths, not touching about God's plan for the end of the age, not teaching about the rapture of the church, because it is Debated, mm-hmm. it is. There's ver- lots of different views on it, and um, um, there's just so many varying opinions that I think a lot of churches decide. Ah, you know what? That's a little controversial. We're not going to go there. Having taught this for a long, long time and and studied this, I am convinced personally. Um, and 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 you know, maybe we've done some end time series on on the show in the past. Uh, but I believe just as ambassadors are recalled that god 's going to recall us first Thessalonians four says that the dead in Christ will at the last trumpet at at the the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and there they will be with the Lord forever. Well, that is a picture of us going up into the air to meet Christ where he is, and that is in heaven. Mm -hmm. The second coming is a picture of Jesus coming down to earth, followed by all of the armies of heaven, of which I think we are part of that armies of heaven, coming down to earth. So I see two distinct events, one where we are caught up to heaven, the rapture, and secondly, the second coming of Christ um, coming down from heaven down to earth. And so, because they're two separate events, now the question is, what's the timing of those two events? And I believe that the rapture precedes the second coming by that seven year gap, that seven year tribulation period.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Jeff Verdorn as we are discussing being an ambassador for Christ. What a privilege that is! Love it. Be right back. an ambassador for christ we're talking about uh, that with jeff fordorn today and i've got my bible open right now jeff to first uh, peter 2 11 i'd like to read it if you don't mind mm-hmm. it says beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul sojourners
1: and what and exiles. And exiles. Oh, interesting. My yeah. version says aliens
0: and strangers in this world. Here's the New Living. Uh, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep oh. away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Oh, I like that. I kind of do too. Temporary residents. Yeah. Know? I read the first one in the ESV.
1: Okay. Yeah. This is, I think the NIV is aliens and strangers in this world. Um, that's who we are. I mean, that's, that's really in the end what we've been talking about as... As we are ambassadors for a foreign land, God Peter goes as far as saying that we are aliens and strangers in this land or temporary residents. You know, both Peter and Paul use this picture of of us dwelling in this body, which they call an earth tent, this tent of our body. Well, a tent is a temporary dwelling. We are just here temporarily, temporarily. We are just passing through. And uh, we don't belong to the world. We're in the world, but we're not of this world. We are aliens and strangers in this world. And as such, once you know that and once you understand that, look what it says in the last part of it, to abstain from sinful desires. There's our calling again, this calling to live a life set apart, holy and pleasing to God, not like the world lives, but to abstain from how the world lives and live this set apart life. So I think that's, you know, one of the big roles, I think, of the church is to equip people to do this. Mm -hmm. As we come together, as we do this radio program, as we read scripture and exhort people, hey, here's what God says. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. I think that's one of the big roles of the church, to equip the saints for the ministry of the gospel. And I, I think a lot of churches especially maybe in the last couple of decades in this mega church kind of environment and and don't get me wrong i i do attend a large church but i think a lot of them tend to kind of get this basic model backwards the ministry is within the church and all the congregation is to support the ministries of the church. So you need to give to the ministry of the church, you need to volunteer for the ministries of the church, and you need to participate in all these ministries that we have going on that are being led and conducted by the church. Now, a lot of those are fine and wonderful things, but I think the real model is, is that the church is there primarily to equip the people sitting in the congregation for the ministry. We as believers in Christ, are all in full-time ministry. I don't know if everybody knows that or not, but whether whatever your vocation is, if you are in Christ, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we kind of sometimes forget, and we pawn that off to those who you know wear the robes or who work for the church or do whatever, and we pawn off the work of, of God's work, the work of ministry, to the professionals, if you will, who work in the church. So we write our checks and and they do the ministry and we think, okay, we've I've done my part. But it's like, it's God who has called you to be that ambassador. He wants to make his appeal through you in all the places that you go. You need to be that minister of the gospel. You know, there's an, an old Home Depot ad and it went something like this. It says, you can do it We can help. Hmm. And I think Hmm. that's exactly how churches should run their church. You can do it, all you sitting on. I had an old pastor that used to say, we just don't want you sitting there sitting on your blessed assurance, right? You can do it. We can help. We want to equip you for the ministry of the gospel. I think that's what the equipping of the saints is all about. So Ephesians 4 says, "And and he gave some to apostles, some as prophets, some evangelists, some as shepherds, some as teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up of the body. Now, there are a lot of different parts to this body, a lot of gifting of the body. So some are given to be teachers. Some are given to be radio hosts. Some are given to be producers. Some are given to be ministers or worship leaders or whatever. But we're all part of one body, and we're all supposed to build each other up and and then finally as a body to present Christ to hold out the word of life to an unbelieving and lost
0: world and I think that's the primary mission of the church if I can quote another John Stott quote which I talked about earlier in the first hour of today's show uh, mr. Dr. Stott said the church is under orders." evangelistic inactivity is disobedience. Oh, very good. Yeah. He's a wise guy. Yeah, that's a why, yeah.
1: You know, I think there's a lot of churches today that have just, you know, we have kind of the social justice church. We kind of have, you know, the apolitical church. Oh, we don't want to talk about things like gender or abortion or marriage or whatever, because eh, those are just controversial and we don't want to be too political. We have the political church that they always want to talk about things political. We have the old, you know, that phrase seeker-sensitive church. I don't exactly know what precisely that meant, but I think when, if you were afraid to talk about that that man is under sin and needs a savior, if you're afraid to talk about the true gospel, maybe that's what seeker-sensitive or the seeker-sensitive church was all about. You know, I read a study recently and it said 60% of pastors became pastors so that they could help others in their time of need. And I, I remember reading that and going, well, wait a minute here. I, I get that a pastor is going to help people in their times of need, but is
0: that the role of the church? Yeah. Jeff, you and I sat under a, uh, the same pastor for many, many years, and I remember him saying, over the next eight months, I'm going to preach through the book of Romans, and I'm I'm fully convinced eight months from now, 10% of the congregation will, will leave. Yeah. <laughs> from tough doctrine.
1: From tough doctrine. That's exactly right. Yeah. A recent study I just saw from Barna, uh, who actually, I don't think he works for Barna anymore. I think he works for uh, the Cultural Research Center, I think is the name of the organization he works for. He found that 37% of pastors in in our country have a biblical worldview. He surveyed a thousand pastors. 41% of senior pastors have a biblical worldview. 28% of associate pastors 12% of youth pastors have a biblical worldview, wow. and this was a, a series of questions of like 20 or 30 items that they would ask or talk about, you know, and 4% of executive pastors had a biblical worldview. Well, it's no wonder so many of our churches are adrift away from the core mission of the church. Can I read a quote from an old dead guy? Sure. Yeah. This Do I have time? You have 50 seconds. Oh. Okay, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it. This is from Clarence Larkin. He wrote a book 100 years ago, and he said this. The church is not a reform bureau to save the bodies of men, nor is it a social service entity. That these kinds of work are commendable, but that is not the mission of the church. The world was just as full, if not fuller, of the evils that afflict society today as in Christ's day. But he never, nor did the apostles, organize any reform agencies. He knew that the source of all evil was sin and that the only way to eradicate sin is the regeneration of the human heart. And so he gave the world the gospel. And the mission of the church is to carry this gospel to the whole
0: world. Amen. Good timing, Jeff. That is all the show we have. Jeff, thanks for being here. You're welcome, I appreciate you very much, and I appreciate you very much as well for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Thank you for being with me today. Have a great night, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.